Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Lake Growth Financial Services. He's also a certified financial planner and author of a book called The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Mark. Thanks for having me. So let's just do a little brief history of you and and your background leading up to uh, founding this firm and doing this book. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's uh, it's quite a wild ride. I'll keep it brief for your listeners. Uh, I was the kind of person that did not think critically about financial advice for many years. In fact, it wasn't until after graduate school that I even paid attention to my own money. And it was only after we left school with six figures in student loan debt with no plan to pay it off that we really realized how deep into the uh, greatest Great Recession we were. Uh, and so my wife and I, we moved to a very expensive city, Chicago, and really had no job and no way to pay, pay down that massive student loan problem that we had built up for ourselves in school. Uh, so I started working for a CPA firm uh, all of my training had taught me that mutual funds, you know, buying term, investing the rest, all of the classically trained financial planning that they uh, gave me uh, was, uh, you know, a, a big wake up call when I realized that uh, the CPA I worked for uh, was having to call her clients and say, and this is like one of these nationally recognized CPAs, okay, but she was calling her clients saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Client. Mrs. Client, uh, but I just lost you a third of your life savings, or I just lost you half of your life savings. You're not going to be able to retire like you thought. And some of these folks were 61, 62 years old. Uh, So I was sort of realizing that uh, traditional financial planning was not exactly uh, the the best or even the most efficient way to prepare for a financially secure future. Uh, So that's a little bit about me in a very quick nutshell. There's more to it, of course. But sure. So what is different about Lake Growth Financial Services than traditional financial planning firms? So, yeah, we sit down with folks in an advisory role. We sit down and review everything from a high-level 30,000-foot view. And we believe that uh, you can create a financial future that you can count on without taking a bunch of unnecessary risks. I mean, where is it written that we have to put all of our money into investments or speculative instruments just to get to the life we want in our future? So, yeah, we work with folks that are interested in creating a stress-free, financially sane future uh, and hit their milestones without taking a bunch of of unnecessary risk. So your chief strategy is called the bank on yourself strategy. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And, and, uh, I mean, it's been around for a while. There's people who've been advocating this. It's based around whole life insurance, right? So most people think of whole life insurance as kind of boring and expensive and you don't get get particularly great returns on it. What is the misconception about whole life insurance that you think it's it's a much more powerful instrument if used right? Great. So you're right. It was a surprise to me when we were going through the Great Recession that whole life insurance policies were all already growing and gaining with with interest and in some cases even dividends, even as stocks and real estate were just crashing. Uh, so I had never even heard of that concept or seen that asset class perform. Uh, and to come to find out, it's an over 200-year-old financial vehicle. Uh, so it, it at least captured my attention. Now, I, like many people, had a severe bias toward whole life insurance as an asset class. And so by looking at it 
uh, through the lens of my bias, I almost didn't look any further. I almost turned away and didn't think it was anything worth pursuing. I'm glad I didn't. And I still don't think you should totally pour every last penny into a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. But if it's structured correctly, and we can get into this if you'd like, if it's structured correctly, the policy grows with tremendous cash value accumulation day one, month one, year one, unlike old-fashioned whole life insurance that our grandparents may have had. These policies have tremendous capital that you can use as a financial management tool right from the start. And it doesn't do too poorly when it comes to cash equivalent returns. So it's not supposed to keep up with the best years of the stock market. You will be bored to tears with your policy in terms of its rate of return. However, after uh, seeing what's happened to the market, even in the last few months, uh, losing almost 20%, and of course in 2008, losing almost half, maybe boring is exactly what we need for a part of our portfolio. Now, this is not true for all whole life insurance policies. There are some companies that offer what you're talking about, this bank on yourself strategy, and some that do not. What's the difference between traditional whole life policies and the policies that you're talking about here? It's about as different as, say, oh, a battleship and uh, like a high-powered speedboat. Uh, they're both in the water. They're both the same vehicle, the same chassis, but we're shrinking down the expenses and the costs and the commissions and the net amount at risk to the insurance company. We're really pushing down on the the expensive part of the whole life insurance, which is the death benefit. And we're choosing instead to flood most of the uh, client's contributions or premium into a specific rider that we use or an option on the policy that's designing it from day one to accumulate cash. So it pays no commissions. Uh, It has very little death benefit relative to the money you're pouring into it. It's all cash growth. And that's a dividend yielding uh, cash value that's then a part of your contract for the rest of your life. So by doing it and designing it that way, you just you're you're building it for cash accumulation, not so much the death benefit. And what kind of rates of return can people expect in these kind of policies? Right. Yeah, I've seen them as low as three and a half percent. I've seen them as high as seven, seven and a half. And so it's in that ballpark over the last 55, 60 years or so. It's been in that range. So it's not ever going to be 12, 15 percent like you might get in the best years of the market. But it's also, importantly, it's never going to lose value when markets crash. Uh, so it's just a steady, predictable accumulation. And one more quick mention on the return. Um, it is an after-tax return. So these policies are you know, doing an after-tax of 4 to 6%, let's say. Uh, and it's an after-tax, after-fees return. So to compare that, let's say, to oh, maybe like a 401k, which is taxable, and does have fees, you know, you might need to do 8 to 9%, depending on your tax bracket, just to keep up with the policy in a 401k, let's say. What makes the difference between a 3 and a 7% return? Is it the different portfolio that different insurance companies have, or it's tied somewhat to the stock market? Why would you get, a, you know, a 3 versus a 7% or something in between mm-hmm. kind of return? Some of everything you just said there. Uh, since it's not tied to any market, uh, it is based mostly on the profitability of the insurance company. So again, this is a mutual life insurance company. If you know, you typically see a little bit higher cash for internal rates of return when the policy is mutually owned as opposed to publicly traded. So there are insurance companies out there. I don't usually recommend them for this strategy, but there are publicly traded insurance companies out there. Whereas mutual companies, Jordan, have 
you know, the ability to just basically pass along all the profits to you and me, the share, the shareholders. Uh, in other words, the policyholders. There's nobody else taking a profit off the top. In other words, uh, another way that this might affect return is just, you know, your, you know, the age and health you might be in, um, the uh, overall the the um, internal growth mechanisms or the just the size of the death benefit. But the main thing to keep in mind is how did the advisor or agent design it? If it was designed for death benefit exclusively, it's going to grow a lot slower and be closer to that 3% range. Uh, Whereas if it's designed more uh, focusing on the cash value and more modernized for cash accumulation, the returns on the cash value, especially in the first few years, will be much greater and give you an overall IRR that's a lot better over the long term. Now, to do this bank-on-yourself strategy, it has to be a long-term strategy. This is not something you put money right. into in, in the first year you can take it out because you need time for that thing to be compounding. How long should you expect to put money into it and have it compound before you start borrowing it out? Great question. Speaking of borrowing, maybe we'll do this uh, here in a little while. We can talk about how this can be used as a financing source and increase your overall portfolio yield even further. Uh, but to your point... Yeah, the policy's cash value is available within 30 days of starting the policy. So you put the money in, and you know within a month or so, it's got cash value you can borrow out. Uh, I'll give you a quick story. My wife and I, when we first started our first two policies, we took a loan in just a few months after starting our first two policies to pay off one of our student loans. So we kind of bought back our debt. And in that way, we took back some control over uh, the first of what would be many different student loans that we'd pay off with the policy. Uh, so again, we can kind of get into the loan feature and why yeah. I think this is really where it sh- where it shines. You know, returns are fine, but what I want is predictable liquid capital for my purchases, my real estate deals, paying off old debts. That's where this thing really fits, I think, into a lot of people's portfolios. Okay, but again, how long should you? I, I know you, it's available within 30 days, but that's not what you're typically recommending. You're typically recommending that keep it in there for quite a while before you borrow out, so that it has time to accumulate. So what is the typical time period that you think people should plan on having it accumulate before they borrow it out? Well, to be honest, actually, in in many cases, uh, folks in the very first year, even in the first few months, will use it immediately because when you borrow from the policy, it keeps growing with dividends even on the capital you borrowed. So I'll tell you a quick story. I had a real estate investor who poured in six figures into a policy and in the very first month took a loan against it to buy a new condo, a rental condo. Now, why would she do that? Well, the power of this is when you borrow from the policy, it's going to continue to pay you a dividend as if you did not borrow the money out. And at the same time, Jordan, she had the condo paying, you know, appreciating in the neighborhood there and paying a rent check uh, to her. And she used that to repay the policy loan. So there is really no, except just to make sure you're not being foolish with the cash and spending it on a casino or something, there's no reason to just let it sit, soak and sour inside your cash value for years and years before you use it. It's supposed to be a living, breathing financial pool of cash. And what's the advantage of doing this over, say, a 401k, which people think of as the most tax-efficient way? Your your money is growing tax-deferred for many years inside that. Okay. Well, it, it's, it comes down to what do we believe about the future of taxes in this country. If they are even 1% higher in the future, which we all now know at least uh, for 2026 are 
our existing tax law will expire and we'll go back to higher tax rates in just six years. Uh, if our 401k, if we're contributing to those 401ks with tax deferred dollars, don't forget tax deferred does not mean no tax. It just means we're postponing it until the future. So we're putting our money into a tax deferred instrument, letting it grow tax deferred, and then we pay the government whatever they want to charge us when it's come time to retire. Uh, that to me doesn't feel like freedom. It feels like uh, a bank who's lent me some money and they don't know what interest rate they're going to charge me until it's time to take the money out. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He's the CEO at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. Uh, he is big on the so-called bank-on-yourself strategy. His book is called The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. And you can find him at his website, lakegrowth.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He is the Chief Chief Executive Officer at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. Uh, He is a proponent of the Bank on Yourself strategy. His book is called The Secret for Two Lifetime Financial Security. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. So we were talking about the difference between this kind of bank on yourself using whole life insurance 
and what people might have heard of, which is called index universal life insurance, where it's tied to a, the S&P 500 or some kind of a stock index. Now, what they say about that is that it goes up to a certain level. There's going to be a limit. But like this, it doesn't have any loss potential. If the market goes down, you get a zero in that year. So what is the advantage or disadvantage of an IUL compared to the bank on yourself strategy using whole life insurance? Great question. Yeah, we get this a lot. Uh, IULs are a very uh, attractive financial vehicle, and it's it's taken, uh, I think, uh, the attention of many uh, insurance agents and financial planners, uh, and myself included. So I took a hard look at this, and at the end of the day, I came away not being impressed. In fact, uh, I'll, I have an episode on our podcast. It's called Top 10 Reasons Not to Own Index Universal Life Insurance for, you know, when, when if clients want to dig deeper into this. But the main reason why we steer clear of this for our clients, uh, this indexed universal life policy, is because it's a ticking time bomb of internal costs. Now, there's costs to any insurance product. Uh, costs for insurance administrative charges are going to be deducted, however, from the in- indexed universal life policy every month. And imagine having annually renewable term insurance on a policy that lasts until you are 121 years old. So, Jordan, you can imagine every year that cost inside the policy of an indexed universal life policy anyway is going to get more and more and more expensive the more birthday candles you have on your cake. Now, the index, like the S&P 500, does not always keep up with that aging body of ours. And so at some point, and it usually happens around the 60-year-old mark or so, the policy starts to shrink as the cost of the insurance exceeds exceeds the growth of the cash. And there, somewhere around the mid-70s or so, we notice folks stop having enough cash in the policy and the insurance policy collapses on itself. Uh, so when we see this working uh, for our, uh, for when we see this working well as if someone's in their 20s and has no intention of keeping it their entire lifetime, but we just say, let's put it into a whole life policy where the costs don't explode like that and you can design the policy from day one to know what the cash value is going to be and not have to worry about indexing going up, down, or sideways. So the difference is with whole life, you lock in the insurance rate at the age at which you get it, whereas with the index universal life, it's like a term, annual renewable term that the uh, cost of the insurance is going up every year. That's what you're saying. Correct. I'm looking at one of the uh, tables where it's a cost of insurance for an index universal life company right now. And when you're 30 years old, per $1,000 of death benefit, the cost is only 12 cents. That's not too bad. But by age 65, that cost skyrockets to $1.88 for the same $1,000 of death benefit. And by age 75, it skyrockets up to $5.33 for the same $1,000 of, of death benefit. So either the index has to be going up just into the stratosphere, like the S&P 500 has to be going up until, you know, and uh, up, up just tremendously to keep up with this policy where it starts to gobble up cash value to make up for the increasing cost. And that's why we stay away from this policy. I mean, the last 10 years, the stock market has done very well. So maybe it's worked out. You would have gotten a you know, high rate of return more than you would have had the cost of oh, yeah. insurance going up. Yeah. Yep. But you say in a bear market, when you get a zero, you don't get a negative, but you get a zero then you're, the cost of insurance keeps going up, eating away at the cash value. Correct. Yeah, just because the index is protected at zero doesn't mean the costs are going to stay flat on an IUL. And so we stay away from those for those reasons. 
And, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, this is according to the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, there's over a dozen lawsuits against indexed universal life companies who've sold these policies. So on the, uh, the policies that you recommend, there are different kinds of whole life insurance providers. You, you like the mutual companies. Maybe you could name some of the companies that offer policies that do fit the model that you're talking about that will work with your particular strategy. Sure. Yeah. And and just to be clear, you know, we don't uh, pick any one company. Uh, we do work with dozens of insurance companies that meet all of our criteria. I'll list a few of the characteristics okay. first, yeah. and then I'll give some names. Uh, so these are mutual life insurance companies that have been around for over 100 years. We want to make sure that they've been around through the Great Depression, through the Great Recession, Jordan. You want to make sure, too, that they've been uh, consecutively paying you and the policyholder dividends without fail for at least a century. Uh, so that's the kind of financial strength you need to look for. You also want to make sure that the policy is whole life insurance, dividend-paying whole life, and you want to make sure that there are paid-up additions attached to the policy in the correct amounts. So this is where the engineering of the policy gets really important, where I'd say definitely check out any advisor that's been trained through Bank on Yourself. That's why we went through that that process in our firm here. It took us about three and a half years to do it, and I couldn't agree more with the strategies they train us in. Uh, the, the next thing I'd say is look for, and this is very important, I know it's going to sound sort of arcane, but look for policy loans that are non-direct recognition. Non-direct recognition. What that means is the policy has to continue to pay you a full dividend even while you have your loan out on the policy as if you had not taken the loan. That gives you the power of letting your money do two things at once. There's a lot of great mutual companies out there that will penalize you when you take a loan out and reduce your dividend. Okay, how can so, the insurance company do that? I mean, they don't have the cash to earn the dividend on. So how can they pay you on money they don't have to invest? Yeah, great question. So it is you are actually using your cash value as collateral for the loan. Uh, so your collateral is your death benefit, essentially. Uh, it's the safest loan that the insurance company could ever offer. And the insurance company keeps enough cash on hand, not just for your cash value, but your entire death benefit. So their general portfolio is large enough, uh, you know, so that even if you were to take a loan of 500 grand, like we had a client do that earlier last month, to buy a, a real estate property with cash purchase for 500 grand within about a week, he got it. Uh, that policy had a several million dollar death benefit. So the policy's cash uh, in the general fund of the insurance company is large enough that they don't miss it. They continue to pay a dividend, not on your cash value, but on the death benefit. And that's how they're able to do that. Because they've got investments uh, that are fixed income, corporate bonds all over the world. And the, the loans on policies are only a small fraction of what the insurance company is uh, yep. receiving in, in so their again, portfolio. What, what would be some of the companies that you like to deal with that... Uh, yeah. Meet this criteria? So you want to work with uh, the companies in the ways that I just mentioned. Some of them that you might have heard of, some you haven't, like Mass Mutual uh, out in uh, New York. You want to look at maybe Lafayette Life Insurance, uh, definitely a great company for this strategy. Uh, Foresters Financial, they're a fraternal benefit society, and so they pay out just like a mutual would. Um, Security Benefit, uh, Security Mutual Life Insurance of New York. Uh, these are companies that we tend to lean on, but we certainly don't, we aren't exclusive to any one company uh, because it's important that we're an independent working for our clients. And what kind of commissions uh, are involved in buying? Because it's not explicit, it's all kind of in there. What kind of commissions mm 
compared to traditional whole life insurance where what 90% or something of the first year of premium can go out as commission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, uh, I, I like to compare it both to old fashioned whole life insurance and to typical 1% asset center management costs on mutual funds too. Um, and in fact, our, our, one of our podcast episodes uh, talks about it in granular detail. We have a spreadsheet laying it out and everything. Uh, so, for example, for a gentleman who puts a thousand bucks a month into a policy like we would engineer it, we typically cut those commissions uh, by cutting the death benefit down. You're able to cut the commissions down by about 50 to 70 percent. And Jordan, just to kind of give your listeners a, an idea here, in, over a 30-year period, if you're putting a thousand bucks a month into a dividend-paying whole life bank on yourself designed policy here. The commissions to the agent is somewhere around six thousand dollars over thirty years. If you're putting in a thousand bucks a month over thirty yeah. years, similar contributions a thousand bucks a month into some term insurance plus a one percent AUM uh, on an investment portfolio. If the investment p- portfolio did about five percent a year, the investment advisor is going to make about one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars off of your over investment over thirty years. Yeah. Over the thirty years. So which of those numbers seems fair to you? You know, $6,000 commission or $114,000 commission? Uh, we, we still make, you know, a good living around here, but we certainly don't want to take that much off the, the client's portfolio if that's good retirement money for somebody. And then on the borrowing side, what kind of interest rates are, are typically being charged when people want to borrow against the cash value? Yeah, the insurance companies get to set those typically, and you see that before you sign up for the policy and such. Uh, I have been blown away by the favorable interest uh, provisions on these contracts. Uh, Let me give you a sort of a specific example in just a minute. Um, The insurance companies that we typically work with have a 5% simple interest rate and it's compounded only annually in arrears. So again, let's kind of change that over to English now. (laughs) What that means is simple interest on a loan is when you're charged interest is always better than compound interest charged on a loan. I mean, I mean, I wish our mortgages worked this way, Jordan. I wish, you know, our student loan companies did this too. Simple interest loans mean you pay your principal first all year long and lower your APR. So if we were to kind of just compute this out to a real life example, over four years, if you took a policy loan at 5% simple interest, uh, the over the four-year period, your real APR and we've done the math on this, um, is about 1.9% APR. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you're getting a spread or an arbitrage because your policy is doing much more than that in terms of internal rates of return. That's very good. I mean, that's much lower than most most policies are 5 7%, something like that, traditional yeah. whole life policies. That's right. Well, and so it's important to remember that these are lines of credit that you control. So when banks stop lending in the next downturn, whenever that time comes, a year or 10 years from now, whenever, it'll be the folks that have that permanent cash that's available for them to take advantage of opportunities to increase their yield in the marketplace. Uh, And because they don't have to repay the loan on any specific schedule, they can wait. So back to my example of the uh, uh, lady who bought the condo, she just, you know, she could have waited until she sold that condo five years later to pay off the policy loan. There's no required repayment plan. It's pretty phenomenal when you think about building some more control into your future. And also it's a backstop in case the economy turns down. I mean, in 2008, there was a big credit crunch 
and people's credit lines were cut back severely, this wouldn't affect you in that case. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Think of it like a HELOC that you get to decide how big your line of credit is for yourself. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He's the chief executive officer at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. His book is called The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. A website you can find out more about him is lakegrowth.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Willis, CEO at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. Uh, His website, lakegrowth.com. His book is called The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about this bank-on-yourself strategy. So let's talk about some of the specific uses and how that might be better than doing it in other ways. College being a big one. People take on a lot of college debt or they use UGMA accounts or 529 plans to save for college. How can this strategy be better than those as a way of financing college? Well, there's a number of reasons that I have personally put opened up a policy specifically for my daughter. She's only uh, coming on three years old now, but we will know the guaranteed amount that will be available for her college on the day she's ready to graduate. Uh, So when you have specific deadline funds like this, uh, the whole life policy really puts you in control of your money. And of course, then once it's ready to go to college and spend spend on college funds, you know, when you use the funds and the policies we've been describing in the previous segment, 
your policy, if you take a loan against it, will keep on growing as though you hadn't spent it. Uh, uh, so that's been huge for us. And I guess one other thing to keep in mind is that that cash is then available to spend again in retirement if you repay the policy loan after uh, you graduate, after the kid graduates. Uh, so uh, one more quick uh, item on this. The cash value does not account against you when you apply for federal student aid. Uh, so many 529 plans, uh, your equity in your home, your income, all of it is calculated on the FAFSA form and the CSS profile, the, the forms that are required for most college applications. Funny enough, cash value life insurance is one of the few things that does not get reported on these uh, college forms, allowing you to store more of your wealth and, and look poorer than you maybe really are uh, and get access to bigger grants and scholarships along the way. It's more of an ancillary benefit. So how, what is the benefit of doing this compared to a tax-free 529 plan uh, or a Uniform Gifts to Minors Act account uh, as a way of building up money for college. Okay, yeah, with the UPMAs and UGMAs, the gift to minors, uh, aren't those typically put in the minor's name once they yes. become age majority? Okay, I don't know about you, when I was 18, I probably wouldn't have spent it all on college. <laughs> no. Maybe maybe a nice car or two, right? Um, but otherwise, you know, they're they're tied to the market. 529s and most UPMAs and UGMAs are tied to uh, things that we cannot access or use or control. And once you spend the money in a 529, it's gone for good. Um, and if the kid is not interested in going to college or decides to be the next Bill Gates, uh, then all that money in that 529 is penalized if you get it out for any other purpose. Uh, so I've already used the policy that's, you know, we designed for my daughter for other purposes uh, and hope to uh, help give her to get her to college with, with those funds. But if she decides to start the next, uh, you know, uh, billion dollar business, I'll give her a loan to help her get it started instead of going to college. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you said that you'll know when, when the child is young, you'll know exactly how much cash value you're going to have 18 years from now, you know, in the future. How do you know that if the difference, the rates of return could be anywhere between three and seven percent. That would make a big difference mm -hmm. on how much cash value is built up many years in the future. That's a great clarifying question. Yeah. So before you start your policy, you're given a schedule by the insurance company of the guaranteed cash value accumulation every single year for the rest of your life. So it's either going to be, you know, whatever rate of return it is, it's going to be clearly spelled out to you before you sign on the dotted line and say, yes, I'll take this contract. Uh, so it's not like it wavers a lot one one year to the next. Uh, now, there is one factor that is not guaranteed, and that is the dividend. Uh, so when I said that I have a guaranteed predictable amount that she'll have at age 18, I'm assuming no dividends on that schedule. But if we assume today's dividend rate repeated for, you know, the next 18 years, 15 years, then, you know, that number is variable and it can change. It's just a matter of how much extra profit do we have above the guarantee that, that we are promised by the insurance company. Does that answer your question? The guarantee is typically at about a 3% rate. What, what is the guarantee typically at? Right, yeah. You'll find the guarantees built on a schedule of increases. It's going to increase on a certain rate every single year. And yeah, it's sort of underneath the overall return that you get from the dividend and the guarantee. So in planning, when you plan with a client, what kind of rate of return do you expect with the guarantee plus the dividends over an 18-year time frame. I mean, it can't be exact, but just roughly yeah. what are you counting on? Again, you know, you might look at it different depending on if you're 75 years old starting one of these or 25 years old starting one of these. 
but you know, you could see it in that same range that we described, somewhere between four and seven percent, depending on how the policy is designed, and most importantly, um, too, like where interest rates are headed. If interest rates stay as low as they've been, then you're going to see a lower end of that spectrum. If we start to see interest rates rise, like the Fed has uh, uh, shown us at least in the last few months or so, we'll see what happens, right, with uh, recent policy changes. But if interest rates get back to normal levels, then the dividend rises right alongside that. So the vast majority of the insurance company investments are in fixed income vehicles, whether it be bonds or uh, real estate, mortgages, things like that. They're, they're not that exposed to the stock market, is that right? That's right. Less than 1% of their funds are in any kind of equities. So that gives you more predictability is what you're saying. Correct. Yep. And they're holding those bonds to maturity. They're not worried as much about reinvestment rate risk as us mere mortals. You know, they're looking at it as mainly an income stream that they can use to pay out their death claims and operating their business and so forth. Yeah. So the other one is real estate. So uh, building a portfolio of rental real estate or even buying your own home, what's the advantage of using the bank on yourself strategy compared to traditional getting a mortgage and a down payment and so on? Well, again, it's all about where your money lives. If you uh, have your money living in a place that you control the environment, you win. If banks own the financial environment where your money lives, the banks will win. It just comes down to something that simple. You know, if you've got a big pool of cash uh, for purchasing, whether it's your own home or investment properties, and you see a property that you believe will, you know, do the burst strategy well or will do uh, the kind of fix and flip or the rental rehabs or the refinancing strategy, whatever your strategy might be, or heck, even just using the policy for your own personal first-time homebuyer down payment, uh, if you use your policy to buy that property, all of a sudden your money is working in two places at once. You know, it's, it's growing and appreciating, hopefully, in the home you just purchased or the multifamily you just purchased. And it's still earning an arbitrage over inside your policy. And you get to tell the policy and the insurance company if and when you ever repay that loan. Uh, If you never repay the loan uh, and you take it all the way to your grave, let's say, uh, then the policy death benefit is just reduced by the loan that's outstanding. So the insurance company knows they'll be made made whole on that policy loan you took all those years ago. Either you'll pay it back and recycle the money back into the policy to use on your next real estate purchase, or you'll you know take it with you to the other side of heaven. They'll they'll net out that loan and give your family the net death benefit. Yeah, and how about funding a business? I mean, it can be risky. A lot of businesses never succeed. Uh, If you've taken out a loan against your insurance and the business fails, you, you don't have anything. Is that recommended to borrow against the policy to fund a business? Yeah, let's talk about two things there. You brought up a really good point. I want to make sure folks hear me. Like this is not some magic pill that solves every every ill that we might encounter in life. You can still mess these policies up and life still throws you curveballs too. So I'll mention two of those things that you just brought up there. The first, the policy can lapse. And if you have a bunch of gains in the policy, when that policy lapses, it'll be taxable on the gains. So you want to work with an advisor that's not just uh, you know, ripshod giving you uh, financial advice, but is looking at it at it from a competent perspective, looking at it holistically, uh, which is what we believe we do through our firm. It's just why we sit down and look over all the moving parts in your financial life before make, making any recommendations. Uh, but on the other side of the equation, a business that does go through bankruptcy, let's say that you owned a business and you decided, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take a policy loan to help fund my marketing campaign or buy some equipment. Uh, 
all of those things are absolutely possible for you. And, uh, you know, I've got clients that do both of those things and many, many more. But let's say that you did take a loan from your policy and invested in your business, and then the business still turned south. You still lost it all. And let's say you went through a bankruptcy. Well, the policy itself is in many states anyway, uh, protected significantly from creditors and predators uh, that might attach themselves to your bankruptcy proceeding or if you pass away to your estate. Uh, So generally speaking, these policies are in some ways protected from bankruptcy risk and from uh, debt collectors and so forth. Uh, It stays off their radar. Yeah, but it's still something you have to consider very carefully uh, before you just take the money and use it for business if the business is going to work. That's right. Yeah, you still need to be a, a wise business owner and only invest in things that you know that you are sure you're going to get a good, solid return on, whether it's your own business or a piece of real estate. Your podcast is called the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Tell us a little bit about what kind of topics you t- uh, cover on there. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun with this strategy in particular. It's not all we do here at our firm, um, but we really believe that traditional financial planning, uh, as it's been classically trained and what I went through in my certified financial planner designation, it it is not the all end-all be-all for folks' financial future. Uh, so we get into what happened to Wall Street's strategies. You know, we talk about protected income in retirement. We look at asking ourselves, well, what do we want our money to do for us? Uh, We dig into the history of the 401k, which it's only about, what is it? It's not even old enough to retire, right? I I think they got it started, 401ks just started in 1981 or so. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, what is the real return of actual investors in the stock market? Um, Surprise, it's it's only about three and a half percent over 30 years. Uh, All these things uh, we dig into on our podcast and uh, this Bank on Yourself strategy we explore in greater detail. And so people can find out about that at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, correct? Anywhere we can uh, find uh, find podcasts, we try to get it out there. Yeah, thank you. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He's the CEO at Lake Growth Financial Services. Uh, and the podcast we just mentioned, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. His overall website is lakegrowth.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Willis. He is the CEO at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. He's an expert in the bank-on-yourself strategy. His website, lakegrowth.com. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you for having me. So you talk about a difference between return on investment and and a rate of income is ROI. What is the difference between those? Yeah, there was a you know recent study that was done by Morningstar, which is just up the street from us here in Chicago. It also included one of my former uh, American college professors, Wade Fowle, uh, and David Blanchett. Some of these folks are PhDs in, in financial planning and in economics. And I was just floored when they came out with the 4% rule is dead. You may have heard some about this. But- yes. Uh, the 4% rule was something that came out in the 90s with different a different economic environment, to be very honest. it's it, For your listeners, if you don't know, the 4% rule was this safe amount of money you could take out of your account and not run out of money during your lifetime. So if you had a million dollars in your 401k, you could safely, so they said, take out 40000 bucks a year, taxable, of course, and that would be what you could live on without running out of money or depleting the principal. Is that did I do a fair summary to the four percent? Right. But interest okay. rates are a lot lower now than they were back then. Interest rates, and then the beta on the market, the volatility is up. Uh, so we've had some great booming years in the stock market. So that helped us some. But even so, with a forty percent equity bond, you know, 40-60 blend there in retirement, they're asking us to only take out two point eight percent now. So again, the millionaire lifestyle is you know a million bucks in your four hundred one k take out. 28,000 bucks a year, pay taxes on it, and you might be looking at maybe 1,500 bucks a month off your 401k. Uh, so then deferred the taxes, but you have to pay them in retirement when you can afford them less. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, well, not and even taxes aside, that seems like a very inefficient withdrawal rate, 2.8%. That seems tremendously small. So you're right, rate of income matters as much as rate of return. Uh, or rate of in, return on investment, because the the rate of income is typically what folks are saving for. Why are we saving? Why are we chasing rate of return? Most of us, not all, but most of us are trying to get the best income we can have in our lifetime in our retirement. And so if the best Wall Street can give us is 2.8% of our money, um, you know, taking that out safely and predictably and only having a 90% chance of winning off 2.8% or running out of money, well, let's find a better place, a more efficient place to get a larger withdrawal rate. And just so happens, uh, life insurance, we typically run for our clients about 5% withdrawal rates and can be up to 6 or 7% withdrawal rates, uh, which is mean is the difference between $28,000 a year from your 401k or fifty dollars to $70,000 a year tax-free from a life insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, so what if somebody has gotten to retirement, they're in their 60s, they've got a decent amount of cash. They have not done this life insurance policy yet. Um, and they're afraid of risk. They don't want to put it in CDs where they're going to earn 1% or something like that. Can they put a big lump sum in or have like a single premium policy and make this work? 
Yes. In fact, if you have, let's say you've got a large uh, chunk in a 401k and you're like, what do I do now? You know, one of the best ways we describe in, in uh, some of our material and episodes that we've done on, on this is, yes, you can do a single premium whole life policy, dump in, you know, a certain amount that you feel comfortable doing as a part of your balanced portfolio and use it as what's known as a volatility buffer. So in the good years of the stock market, go ahead and withdraw money out of the 401k or brokerage account uh, and live on that. In the bad years, let's hold taking money out of your stocks and instead have two to four years worth of, of living expenses over in your cash value life insurance that you can pull on for the two to four years of, of down years that we might expect your portfolio to experience during your retirement. The, the problem with most people is they're, they're going to go through those two to four years of, of, of recession in their retirement years anyway, Jordan. And if all they have is their equities and their bonds, they're going to have to take money out of their savings, their investings in their portfolio when the market's down, which is like the worst time to take money out of your 401k is when the account balance is down. It's like double pain, right? Yeah. yeah. So if you have two to four years or, or another number, if you want more or less than that, but if you have two to four years in your cash value policy and hold tight on your investments in the down years, just pull from your cash value and then let your portfolio recover, you can pull out a very nice uh, withdrawal rate off your, off your investments much more than 2.8% and still have a nice predictable cash uh, for, you know, the down years of the market as well. Is it sometimes makes sense to do an annuity or annuitize the cash value you have so you have a regular predictable amount? Is that part of the strategy? You can either uh, annuitize it or you can take a combination of loans and withdrawals. Uh, so for your listeners, I, I know that um, uh, they would appreciate some of the d- differences here. The differences really come down to uh, the the safety of never running running out of money. If you annuitize your cash value, Jordan, you're exactly right. You can take that money out, uh, and even if you run out of money, you'd never run out of income. If you annuitize the cash value. Now the problem is when you annuitize life insurance or anything, your 401k or anything else, it generally removes the liquidity of your account, whether it's a 401k or a cash value policy. Uh, so, you know, some people look at it and say, well, you know, let's do that with some of my money. Let's let's generate an income off some of this money, annuitize it, but let's leave the other portion of our uh, portfolio liquid. So here's how it works when it comes to income off of these bank-on-yourself type policies. You can leave the money liquid and take withdrawals of your cost basis, and it stays completely tax-free. And then when you get to gains, you can switch to non-recourse policy loans, and also comes uh, the, the loans come out income tax-free. Now, when you annuitize, it generally means you're going to get taxed on some of that money. Uh, when you keep it in the policy and don't annuitize it, it's generally all of it available to you completely tax-free, of course, under current law, right? Uh, so that's one way you can you know keep out of the IRS's grasp is not annuitizing the cash value and keeping that policy's income in more of a manual transmission rather than annuitizing and moving it to automatic transmission. Does that make sense? Because the, the annuity, uh, you're taking it out as income and it's taxable as you're taking it out or as withdrawals, whereas the other is loans and loans are not taxable. Is that right? That's a good way to summarize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so who is this a good fit for and who is this not a good fit for, this whole bank on yourself concept? 
I'll start with who it's not a good fit for. We found this just a uh, great fit for lots of folks, but there are some people who just do not fit this strategy. The first is it still takes saving. You know, don't look at this as, you know, um, you know, pulling money out of the death benefit. It's the cash value you can loan against, not the death benefit. So it still means we're living within our means, still means we're putting away for our financial future and, and accumulating wealth. Eventually, of course, the dividends will exceed your contributions, but it it is still your uh, uh, responsibility to save for yourself. So that's what the first, if folks are looking for instant leverage for money that's not theirs, they'll be disappointed with this strategy. Also, rates of return. You know, again, we've kind of pushed on that some on this episode. These policies are never going to do the best years of the market. 12, 15% is not going to happen with whole life insurance, at least not in these interest rate environments. Now, I'll tell you, Jordan, in the early 80s, they were throwing dividends of 12, 15, 16% on whole life policies, but everything else was doing that too. If you, yeah. you probably remember mortgages were up there too, but um, that's another one. It's not going to thrill you with market gains uh, or terrify you with market losses. Um, it is not some, you don't feel like you have to count yourself out if you are too old or if you've had some health issues. This strategy still works. If you are the owner of a policy, you don't necessarily have to be the insured on the policy. So, you know, if that is a concern for any of your listeners, a lot of our clients uh, still do these policies as a part of their overall portfolio and they insure their spouse or their business partner or their children. Um, So it's not a good fit for those folks that are looking for great rates of return in the first few years, especially there are still insurance costs. Or if you want to defer all your income uh, and to be taxed later, these are typically after-tax designed more like Roth IRAs. So if you do believe taxes will be lower in the future, you might, again, be disappointed to have to pay your taxes on your contributions going in, kind of like a Roth IRA. But there's a real advantage of starting this young. I mean, a young child or somebody getting their first job, because you have many more years of uh, tax-free kind of um, accumulation that way, right? You know, and I'll, I'll give your listeners something extra here, too. If you own a business and you have your children working for you in the business, you can contribute. What is the, uh, the limit? Is it around $6,000 a year you can pay your child and they don't uh, have any taxes due on that money? Right. For child and, labor. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, legally, of course. Uh, yeah. So if they're doing a legitimate business, you can pay them, get the tax deduction as a business owner, paying your payroll. It goes into their account income tax-free. If you use that money to contribute to a whole life policy, it goes in tax-free, it grows tax-deferred, and then in their retirement, they can pull all that money out completely tax-free. So it's a triple tax-free uh, scenario here. It's one of the rare unicorns in the financial universe. Very so good. Uh, that's one of my favorite ways to do it for children policies and business sure. owners. Well, thanks so much. We've had learned a lot about the Bank on Yourself policy from Mark Willis. He's the CEO at Lake Growth Financial Services based in Chicago. You can find out more at his website, lakegrowth.com, and find out more about his podcast, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.